follow along in the Bibles and the pews, it'll be, like I said, James 3. Um, otherwise, the words will be on the screen. The passage will be on the screen. Um, let's uh, pray in, in preparation for uh, the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Um, help us to hear your words. Help us to um, come to know you, Lord. I, I pray that I would uh, speak words that are in keeping with what uh, James intended and that um, I would be faithful to your will and your, your heart, Lord. And I pray that the seeds that are planted this morning, that, that you know, as folks hear the word, that they would be um, seeds that grow into, into great things in the lives of these people and in this community. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, one of the most impressive things I have heard or I've seen since I've been in Montana, and I'm betting there's going to be a handful of folks who are, are going to be able to relate to this well, um, I, I was out with the Bitses um, one afternoon, and, and they, they had a field that they were gonna they were gonna burn, and um, they they I, Daniel cut a double swath with the duck foot around the edge of the field to keep it from blowing out into the neighboring fields. I guess that's disastrous, um, and and in just a, a very short amount of time, um, they they drove up and down the field with this this what is it called? There's a flamethrower is what it was, but what's <laughs> a torch with a torch? And I actually expected a flamethrower. I thought it would be cool. You know, I was sort of hoping to see, you know, Rebecca wandering around spraying the field. It was it was nothing of the sort. <laughs> it was I mean, it was literally like like a propane tank and, and a stick and you couldn't see the fire coming out of it from a distance. I stood on the edge of this field and watched them drive back and forth and you could not see the fire until about a minute after. And about a minute after, what happened was um, huge. Isn't it the truth? Um, how many of y'all have been around for a fire in a field out here? My understanding is that they, that they get out of hand quick, right? And it, it starts in sometimes in the oddest places. I know lightning strikes do it. But, but from my understanding, a, a badly tossed cigarette will, will, you know, will completely destroy the countryside. Um, my... my uh, I have a bunch of photos. I really was going to put them in the slides, but I, I didn't. Um, I didn't. So, um, of the space between uh, Fort Benton and about 15 miles out of Fort Benton, and, and from what I understand, it was probably a, a catalytic converter, just a piece of metal on a car throwing out sparks, probably sparks you wouldn't even notice on an ordinary day, and, and just mile after mile after mile of, of just destroyed landscape, right? And it doesn't start with a huge thing, right? It's not like... Uh, it's not like like you know a guy out there with a flamethrower like I pictured the the bits of field burning. Nothing nothing as awesome as that. It starts with something tiny. Um, we're going to be looking at in James today is is um, the power of our words, um, and and this is a huge deal because um, oftentimes very 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 small things um, get out of hand really quickly. And, and James has been talking a lot about um, religion. He's been talking about, uh, or not a little bit about religion, but a lot about how we live out our Christian faith, how we live out what we believe about Jesus. And so we're going to kind of proceed into that. And, and um, throughout this letter, in each section of this letter, he talks about the words we use. Because it is a huge deal. Everybody got that? <laughs> it cannot be like overstated how huge of a deal it is. Um, that we watch the words that come out of our mouths, because even a few, like just poorly chosen words, um, can can destroy all sorts of like like big things. Um, 
going to do a little background again. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He is the author of this letter. It's probably one of the earliest letters. A lot of the believers at this point are Jews. And so, like, there's a huge Jewish sense to this book, and it plays in a lot in this particular section. Um, they're poor, uh, probably kind of oppressed, okay, like the people around them are mistreating them um, because of their faith in Christ. And, and um, so far the argument, like, he, he starts off talking about um, facing trial and how, how faith is important as you face trial and wisdom. And, and he sort of works through the concept of a lax faith. And, like, if we have a lax faith where we believe in something but it doesn't really turn into anything, right, um, it, it can cause us to be dragged away by our temptation and our lusts. Sometimes we can blame God for things that really aren't God's fault. And, and then he moves on and he says, listen, how we respond to Scripture is going to determine a great deal about who we are. Um, and in the last couple of weeks we've looked at, um, first, how folks respond to people who they can't get stuff from, like oppressing the poor or mistreating folks because they don't have money or because they, you know, are dirty or because we don't like how they are, you know, treating them differently even though they're in Christ, like, like acting as though they're not. Um, and then this last week we talked about faith and works, like how um, what we do needs to translate into our lives. And it's no coincidence that he goes from what we do, what we believe, has to translate into our lives. In the very next section he talks about what we say. Okay, because it is a huge, huge. I, I, can I emphasize that enough? Do I sound like a broken record yet? A broken record player? Um, that was the illustration from the last sermon. It was a joke. Anyway, um, James 3, 1 and 2. Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. And he hit pause there. That's verse 1. Um, teachers at this point in time in history were like rabbis. Okay, in the Christian community, a teacher would be like a rabbi. They would have um, a special place. They would be one of the most educated people in the room anywhere they went. That was um, actually a source of a great deal of respect. You know, folks really respected teachers, um, unlike now. Um, (laughs) Also a joke. Uh, (laughs) Wow, it's a rough morning. Um, Yeah. They would have been very respected, and it was actually something that people would aspire to. And James says, listen, a lot of us want to take this role, but really we shouldn't. And he says we because he's talking about himself too, right? And he says, listen, teachers are going to be subject to a higher degree of judgment. Now, man, I read about about 100 pages on what, you know, what he means here. Does this mean that when teachers stand before God, they'll be you know, more likely to go to hell or or I had a couple teachers growing up. Anyway, um, <laughs> does it mean you know that, that God looks at them with a magnifying glass? Does it mean it actually, what it's talking about is kind of twofold, okay? First off, have any of y'all ever read about a preacher screwing up and like destroying his lives and the lives of everybody around him? And the first thing you do is say, oh, well, it's like that. People watch teachers, Right? They watch, I think they watch Christians in general, and they wait for us to act certain ways, like to see if we're going to like play out the stereotype. But folks watch teachers. And so like as we aspire to be teachers, the reality is that if you're going to be standing on a pedestal, like which you should not look at me like I'm on a pedestal, mind you. But if you're going to stand up front, if you're going to talk, if you're going to teach, you have to live it out. Isn't it the truth? And I, I'm very conscious of this. I Actually, Terry was with me a few weeks ago, and I, I, we were looking for wasps. We had wasps in the, sanct- or in the fellowship hall. There were a lot of them, and I, I hate bees and I hate wasps. 
I know it's an unusual thing, but, but I really don't like them. And, and like we'd, I'd gone up in the attic looking for these things, and, and um, you know, we're trying to figure out where the nest is or how they're getting in the building, and we're looking at a window. Terry, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and there's all these wasps on this window. And so I slide the window open thinking maybe there's a nest up in the eave. And I, I turn over and I stick my head out the window. And when I do, right in the seam, there's about 75 wasps just standing in there. And, and I promptly swore loudly, <laughs> screamed like a girl, and I jumped back about six feet. That's accurate, right? And <laughs> there, it, it is what it is. Because honestly, I stuck my head into a pile of, of wasps. And, and, you know, I... Immediately, the thing I thought was, well, good job, Pastor Eric. <laughs> way, to, way to cuss in front of, like, one of the elders. <laughs> you know, way to, way to knock that down. Um, <laughs> the, the, the reality is that, that, you know, people watch, right? Um, the other end of that is, how hard is it to control your, the words that come out of your mouth when you're, when you're in the moment? Like, like I, I, uh, I was mowing the lawn. I ran over a yellow jacket nest, and I... I, I um, you know, I, I was stung several times, and again, the words that came out of my mouth were not like, praise Jesus for this. It was, <laughs> it was, it was very different than that. Um, and the reality is that folks watch, folk, you know, if you're going to stand up and you're going to talk about who Jesus is, people are going to watch you and they're going to set you against the standard, right? And the big H word comes into play then. What's the big H word? Hypocrite, right? And the words that come out of your mouth are going to be the ones that the ones that people pay attention to for that. Um, the reality is that it is a hard place to be, where folks are going to judge you strictly, like like or judge you at a higher standard than everyone else. Um, but it's something that we can aspire to because if we meet that, it's not us, it's Jesus, right? People are looking at you and they're not seeing, like how awesome is Eric? Or at least if they have any sense, they're not thinking that. Um, they're thinking. How awesome is Jesus that he's able to work through a guy as, like, you know, dorky as that guy? Um, the other end of this is teachers talk a lot. <laughs> my wife, if she was here, she would have a smart remark right now. Um, we, we say a lot of words, and we have to be careful what we say because um, if I teach things that are wrong and it, like, like, sends people away from who Jesus is, that's a problem, isn't it? It's, uh, Jesus teaches that. He says, listen, um, it would be better, like if you're going to mislead my people, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck, which is a giant boulder, and go swimming than for you to face me. Um, you know, and that's, that's something that a lot of folks will stand up and they'll talk about Jesus in an authoritative way, but they do it without realizing the consequences of what they're doing or the potential consequences. Um, teachers have to take it very seriously, but he goes on and he says, listen, for we all stumble in many ways. Is he just talking about teachers? No. He's talking about all of us. And can I get an amen to that, by the way? How many of us, <laughs> how many of us stumble in many ways? All the time. I, it's like a spiritual gift for me. <laughs> I, I, I'm clumsy anyway, but in my spiritual life, stumbling is, is, is easy, right? We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We get the wrong idea in our head, and we get stuck in it, um, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to put a, br a bridle on the whole body as well. Do any of y'all know anyone who's perfect? No. Yeah, Jesus is perfect. 
Um, but apart from that, like, there are no perfect people. We are all subject to sin. We're all, like, inclined to sin. We're all inclined to stumble. And the reality is that if you're able to control every word that comes out of your mouth, you are perfect. And ain't nobody perfect. And so part of what James is saying here is he's like, listen, we all stumble. We all struggle. We all fail. If you could say everything right, you would be perfect because you're putting a bridle um, on your on your whole body as well. Um, what's a bridle for? It's for control, right? When and I don't know anything about horses. Um, and what I understand about bridles is is from like research and from that little like rocking horse in front of Kmart. Um, but the bridle, you pull on it and the horse stops, right? You pull one side and it turns. Um, if you get off and you hold on to the bridle, you can lead that horse almost anywhere, right? How much do horses weigh? 12, 1,500 pounds, is that about right? Is there anywhere in the world that like 1,500 or, you know, 190-pound Eric should be able to overpower a horse? Not at all. Horses are powerful, but because we put this thing in their mouths, we can drag them anywhere we want, right? Unless they really dig in, and then I think you could probably, I don't know that much about horses. <laughs> the analogy breaks down there. Um, I, I can't tell you how nerve-wracking it is to talk about something that, like, the folks around you know everything about, and you're, you know, you're slightly below kindergarten level. <laughs> I, I have, like, the Blue's Clues level education on horses, and um, you guys are the master course folks. The reality is, um, and, and James starts to draw out this analogy, that if you can control your speech, right, it is the first step to controlling your behavior. Um, if you can manage to say things that are in harmony with who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling us to be, if you can do it in a loving way, right, because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And it was one of the hardest marital lessons I've ever learned. Um, if you can manage to get your tongue under control, the words you say under control, you can get all sorts of other things under control. And that's where James is going with this. That's where the argument goes. He says, now, if we put bits in horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Meaning, you control their mouth, you control them. How big is a bit? About that big? And it's about that big, and you control something as big as a horse, right? Um, he goes on, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Um, much fewer like boats in Montana, so this is an easier one. <laughs> um, like literally, as wind blows into the sails of a ship, you turn that tiny little piece of wood, and the ship follows the direction of the rudder, right? And it's this tiny little thing, but that tiny little thing controls like giant ships. Um, now check this out. There's a cool thing in this analogy. When you're sitting on a horse, who decides, like there's a pilot that decides the direction, right? Now, if the analogy is that we're supposed to take control of our tongues, that means that we're the horse or we're the ship, right? So who's steering? Well, Either our sinful nature steers, which is oftentimes the case, right? Like that part of us that's inclined to be wicked. Or we learn to let the Holy Spirit steer us. And the Holy Spirit steering us is what makes us say the right things with the right motives. Um, if you hit a point where you're good at talking, 
right? And you say things that pierce people's hearts and bring them to Jesus. And you say things that comfort folks when they're crying. Or, or you're able to say the right answer in the right setting. And you think it's you. You are setting yourself up for a fall. Because you cannot take credit for what God does. Ultimately, like when we hit that point, it's a product of the Spirit speaking through us. Um, and James, I think it's built into this analogy, right? The Holy Spirit guides our words, and that's what brings us to a place where we're able to control these things. Otherwise, you let me say the right thing, or say what I want. I'm going to say the wrong thing, and I'm willing to bet that pretty much all of us are in that spot. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it gro- boasts great things. Um, he goes on, see how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. Now, the words here are funny because it's like a, a Greek phrase that you can't duplicate in English, okay? Um, not properly. Great and small are the same word. But, like, the way you read it is based on context, and it, the way, like, it basically refers to the magnitude of something. So, like, how giant is a forest and how tiny is, is, our, is the spark that burns it, Right? And it doesn't take much. I, the, when we visited the interview here, we were with the Durgas, and um, we stopped to look in a, in a I don't, we were in that Badlands area, that like broken country. You know what I'm talking about down south, southeast? And, and they parked, and we were standing and looking. And when it was time to go, Marla pulled the car forward about 20 feet, and everybody wandered around looking at the grass. And I thought, well, why on earth are they doing that? What happens if you don't? He set fire to the like to the to the side of the road because the catalytic converter just enough heat throws out. It's so dry here; it takes almost nothing to destroy a great deal, right? Um, and what he's saying here is, listen, small part of our body, the tongue, can set huge fires, um, and the tongue is a fire. And like basically the phrase here, by the way, he says, listen, small, uh, great forest, small spark, and you know what? The tongue is a fire, right? That's the way it's phrased here. He plays into it. He says, listen, the tongue is a fire. Um, and there's a really awkward phrase here. It took me forever to figure out what this meant. And the very world of iniquity, meaning, right, that the tongue itself is the very world of iniquity, meaning that, like, you can pile up every bit of wrongness in the world right there. For the part of us that it is, it's capable of such terrible things, right? Um, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set amongst our members as that which defiles the entire body, which is why he says the very world of iniquity. The things we say can change who we are um, and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell, meaning like by, by evil, by garbage, basically. Um, what's he saying here? He's saying, how many of y'all have said the wrong phrase in one setting and had it turn into something that just wouldn't quit? Right? Or you said you were going to do something and you couldn't steer out of it because you were just locked in after that. Um, or I was talking to a kid once. Um, he was, he was uh, uh, doing recovery. He was a, a recovering drug addict. And, and he said to me, and I'll remember this for the rest of my, lives because, my life because it's, it's going to be locked there. Right? Like I, I, he said to me, he said, oh, um, I don't like that my parents are religious because it's a crutch they lean on. And I looked at him and I thought, you're a drug addict. You lean on like, getting high to get through your life. And 
I couldn't control myself, I laughed. And he got so mad, he threw his chair and walked away from me. And I could never get him to have a serious conversation with me about God after that. Like, he was right on the edge of great things spiritually. And what did I do? I didn't even say a word. I laughed, right? And it it wrecked it. Um, It was a very small thing, but I destroyed. Literally, I'd been talking to this kid about God for, like, eight months. One really poorly chosen moment. One lack of control. One little bit was a spark that just destroyed all the work I had done. Um, And all of us are in that place, right? All of us live there because people watch us. People see Jesus when they see us. And if Jesus happens to be the guy who's talking down to the folks around him, or worse yet, and I I do my best not to be this guy, but it's easy, um, gossiping about the folks around us. I know small town, it's sort of the sin of choice, isn't it? It's easy to gossip. It's easy to say, hey, you know what my neighbor's doing? Or, hey, you know what I saw them doing? Or, hey, I was over here and I heard this. And ultimately, like, I look at somebody when they gossip, and what I'm thinking is, what do you say about me when I'm not standing here? Isn't it the truth? And fact of the matter is, as the church, as the body of Christ, our words cannot, cannot be like that. Because when we gossip about each other, we're setting a spark that builds into a fire, Right? I, uh, I worked for a church. The first church I worked for, I was there for nine years. And in that nine years, they split four or five times. And every time there was a whispering campaign that happened in the background, right? Because the fire that started in those places was started by people speaking in ways that were not Christ-like. Um, and it was a fire that burned the body of Christ in that place. Like, it burned people. It, there were people I know that, like, never, ever came back to the church, never, ever came back to God because the words that were spoken, like, it wasn't Jesus speaking them, but it reflected on him, right? By the way, put the teacher thing right there. The words that we say reflect on him. Um, I'm going to go on here. Um, For every species of beasts, mind you, the phrase we're about to go into, um, James is like borrowing from wisdom literature, Right? Like he starts borrowing phrases from the Old Testament and he's borrowing like like Proverbs. Some of y'all are familiar with Proverbs. It's a really good book. It's in the Old Testament. He's modeling this phrasing after Proverbs and actually borrows a line from Psalms. Um, the, the whole phrase here is designed to be like a memorize it, learn it, live it, love it kind of thing. Got it? Um, he says, for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Um, it's more or less true. I mean, you can tame almost anything, right? Um, somebody's going to argue with me about that. <laughs> but no one can tame the tongue. Um, it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Um, that restless evil and full of deadly poison, that's actually from the Psalms. Um, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, we can catch control of almost anything. We can, you know, I watched videos when, for Henry's funeral, I watched videos of Henry breaking horses. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that he could make this horse obey him, right? I mean, that, that's mind-blowing to me, that this big, powerful animal and just a little bit of, like, persistence, and we can make it happen, right? We can control it. But on the completely other end, it is so hard to control our tongues, Why is that? Well, actually, Jesus gives us a hint. He says, what comes out of your mouth, right, starts where? In your heart. And ultimately, the things that come out of our mouth, like it's a reflection of who we really are. 
That's a hard statement because all of us are fallen, all of us are sinful. Without Jesus dying for our sins, without Christ like bleeding and taking punishment for our sins, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And our process in life is to become like him. Um, and the reality is that part of that is our mouths. Part of that is the words that we speak. Because, because it's something that is something that like, will take forever doing. Um, I, I read about, uh, or actually the, the women, some of the gals from the church went to see uh, the daughter of Billy Graham speak in Great Falls last week, right? One of the things she said was that, that he's very ill at this point. He's got Parkinson's. I imagine he's dementia and he's at the end of his life. And the only thing he says is praise God. <laughs> um, I mean, that's probably about as good as it gets for taming the tongue, right? Um, because the reality is that for the most part, like, like, most of us don't say praise God in everything we say. Um, but it's something that we're called to do. And so when I sit down with you and you're struggling and I offer comfort, what I'm saying is there's hope, praise God, right? When I tell you, like, the sin we do is bad, but Jesus died for us, I'm saying, man, the world is messed up, but praise God, he'll save us, right? Um, that's the direction we move in. We learn to say praise God even when it hurts, um, which is actually where James goes next. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, meaning our tongue. So with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Um, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, if I'm praising God one moment and I'm turning around and cursing you, is that right? Of course it's not. Um, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out the same of the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? Like, so can I get clean water out of a dirty well? No. Um, if I, I don't want to use that analogy. It's crass. Um, <laughs> if I, it's something Abby does frequently. We'll have a pitcher of lemonade or whatever, and she'll come along, and how does she get some? <laughs> she scoops it out with her hand. Is there any way to separate not clean lemonade out of that bottle? Um, I, like, the reality is that, like, once something becomes dirty, it's dirty, right? <laughs> um, if, I, if I pour lemonade into a dirty vessel, it's not coming out clean. Um, what James is saying is, listen, if I'm saying things that are dirty and wrong, and I'm also saying things that are clean, the reality is the things that I'm saying that are clean are tainted by everything I'm saying that's wrong. Ain't it the truth? Um, when somebody tells me they love me, right, or that they care about me, but they say nasty things to me every other minute of the day, everything they say is tainted. Um, not that that happens often. Um, can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives? I'm not a farmer, can it? We don't grow figs here. <laughs> can, a, can wheat produce uh, grapes? No. Um, nor can a salt water produce fresh, meaning can I go to the ocean and dip a cup in and pull out clean, fresh water? No. Like, the fact of the matter is that, like, once we establish ourselves as this, like, we, we make everything else unclean. Um, the trick to becoming Christ-like in this respect, then, is to replace the fountain with Jesus. If the fountain, like, of the words that comes out of my mouth is the Holy Spirit, then I'm producing clean water. If it's my mouth, nothing good, right? Absolutely nothing. And it is hard. Let me do a quick survey. I should have done this at the beginning. 
Um, how many of y'all like have folks in your lives that you can't say nice things to? How many of y'all have trouble being nice to your family the same way you're nice to strangers? How many of y'all have trouble being nice to like waiters and waitresses who do a bad job at their job? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> um, you treat everybody right, you love everybody right, or the real you shows up at the wrong times, right? And oftentimes when it shows up, it's showing up with the people who are, are least able to defend themselves against you. Um, because religion that really reflects Jesus' heart is religion that loves folks even when they're weak, even when they're broken, even when you can get nothing from them. Um, we're going to close in prayer, but my challenge for you all this week is pay attention to the words you say, especially, especially to folks that, like, that you're inclined to hurt. Like, look at your heart and look at your tongue and say, what's coming out of me? Am I a well of salt water or am I a well of fresh water? Do people see Jesus when I'm clowning around with my friends or do they see Jesus all the time? Um, Do I bless and curse in the same breath? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in the hearts of the folks who are here and help us to become people who reflect you. Not that we can earn heaven, not that we can become perfect through our effort, but that we can allow you to be in control and hold the reins of our mouths and our hearts and turn the, the wheel of our, of our souls, Lord, that we might produce good things in your name. That you know, the fruit that, that, that's in our words uh, would be nourishing to folks and not bitter and poison to them. Help us to reflect you in everything we do. In Christ's name, amen.